In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues today, with Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Ladies, Motherhood Talk Radio is here to give you a powerful platform by giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Motherhood Talk Radio has interviews with best-selling authors, gurus of happiness, and women of interest who every single day make our world a better place for our families. Motherhood Talk Radio, powered by Motherhood Incorporated, is on the air now. Moms, this really is your show. Motherhood Talk Radio. And now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Hey, Mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Christy Holly and Rick Swanson today, and today is our parenting show. Yahoo! See, she has like the same level of enthusiasm as I do today. <laughs> at, least, at least she tried to, you know, get a little excited. You know, well, we, everybody had parents at some point. Most of us will be parents at some point in our life. I think it's a good topic. I think it is, too. I think everyone can relate in one way or another, just like you said. Well, you know, Christy, the only reason Rick has got, like, all of, you know, his uglies on today because of the parenting show is because he's known as the fake bad dad in our house. <laughs> yeah, see, isn't that wonderful? What makes you, you know, a fake bad dad? I'm not even dad. a real dad, and yet I'm a bad one already. Well, you're a fake <laughs> bad dad. You're, you're, like, somehow under bad dad, but now you're also the artificial version of the fake bad dad. See, that's just inspiring and motivational. Just... <laughs> Don't even get a chance to do it for real. I'm already, do, I'm already failing. So. Already failing. Yeah. Well, to work toward. Huh? He has something to work towards. Then he so. does. He does. But I, I want to um, explain to the audience why Rick, aka Stupid Diet Guy, also has the moniker of <laughs> Fake Bad Dad. And Christy, I don't know if you even know this story. Um, one day, I think it was like a Friday afternoon, and Rick and I were in the office working, and the kids were out um, playing, I think playing Wii probably, and um, I said, come on, let's all go get a hamburger. So we had Max, who was six or seven at the time, Camden, his best friend, who's from Iran, six or seven at the time, and then we had Zach, who was three years old, and I thought, well, you know what, we'll go to Carl's Jr., we'll all go get a hamburger, wouldn't this be fun? So we pile in the minivan, and we drive to... You know, like the hamburger place, like the fake family, and um, we get <laughs> we get into Carl's Jr. and something happened, and Wacky just snapped. You know, he just he started crying. He started stomping his feet. He was running around like a lunatic. I think it's Carl's Jr. in the bright lights. I don't know for sure. And then Max and Zach, or I'm sorry, Max and Camden, who are like six, seven years old, decided they were going to practice their karate sparring. And it got to the point where they were literally kicking each other. <laughs> but at, at this point, Zach was across the restaurant, standing in the corner, screaming. Yeah, and you were, weren't you behind even those, like, double doors would yeah. come in and go out? And I had taken You could him. still hear him just screaming. He's turning, like, bright purple, red. I just screaming. love and then, seeing and stuff then, like that. And Max are, like, fighting each other in the booth. And I'm trying to tell him, like, okay, guys, stop. Stop. They're not listening. And at this point, these two families over, I look over to my right, 
And they look at me, and this guy just, like, shakes his head and is like, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, dude, these are my kids. <laughs> you think I'd let them just do this? But, yeah, I was like, wow. Yeah. They thought well, it was horrible. <laughs> well, and it was one of those things where, like, the whole restaurant turns around, and I had taken Wacky outside because he was making so much noise, taking him outside into, like, the double doors between the restaurant and then the outside, and then he still couldn't get calmed down enough, so I took him to the car. You know, I said, if you can't, you know, stop screaming. And it was all over, I think it was all over French fries. It wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't any earth-shattering thing. But the people in the restaurant, looked at Rick like he was the worst father ever. And then they look at me going, oh, you poor boy. Right. Because they're probably thinking, look at this guy. He doesn't help her out. So she's doing all the work by herself. And I'm like, And you wonderful. just sit there eating your hamburger. Yeah, I just continue to eat. That's hard to throw me off lunch, but... <laughs> So forever and a day, now Rick is known in our house as the, not just the bad dad, but the fake bad dad. Yeah, so... What do you think, Christy? <laughs> I, I wish I could have seen that. I would have loved to have seen that. Hey, go to Carl's Jr. You could be the, you be a couple, and you could be the fake bad mom. Right. Partner. Mom never, mommy fake never. bad well, domestic partner. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done no. that. Well, but we Christy, had our you kids know, together. He pulled a Parker. What? Zach pulled a Parker. It has its own name? Yeah, yeah. Parker. <laughs> Christy's son. So, Christy, why don't you tell us about where the, ta- the term pulling a Parker comes from? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, we were at your house for a uh, nice barbecue, and there was all kinds of people there, and my kids were in the pool, and I asked Parker to get out of the pool because they were fighting. And I'm like, that's it. You know, you're done. You need to come out. And he wouldn't get out, wouldn't get out. I'm like, okay. Everybody starts looking at me because he's not getting out. I'm like, you need to get out now. So he finally get him out, and he starts, like, he was screaming hysterically, like, on the floor. Um, Stan, I didn't know you that well, and your parents were there. Your dad was there. <laughs> and I didn't know, like, hardly anybody that well, and it was awful. We were try- I was trying to leave because I said we were leaving if they didn't behave. And he And how was, old were your kids at the time? Um, I think two, four, and six. That was just <laughs> last year, I think. Um, it seems like so long ago. People were, you know, Jackie, one of the uh, other kids' moms, like, she's a big lady, like, big, strong lady. She, like... Whoops, Parker up. She's carrying him out. There's other ladies like getting all my stuff together. Oh, was- you know, Janet, Janet picked up your bag, your, your swim stuff and the swim bag and yeah, the towels. It was horrifying. It was just horrifying. And I've never been so embarrassed in my entire life. <laughs> but, and then but now I can great laugh thing about, about it. it. You know, it was like everybody just helped you. It's like I knew exactly what you were going through. Jackie knew what you were going through. Janet knew what you were going through. It's like when your kid blows a gasket, (laughs) there's no going back. See, and I like to see what other, like, when it happens to other people because then you just feel (laughs) like, ha, I'm normal. It's a normal. And when other kids do it, you're going, oh, thank God mine aren't here. (laughs) Or thank God they're being good. 
Well, it's like when Frankie, Frankie, the karate instructor that we had on the show, I remember, I didn't know him that well, and he was up there teaching the karate class of all the kids, and he's doing his thing, and his daughter Austin, out of the blue, like out of nowhere, ran up in front of the class, kicked him in the shin as hard as she could, and then ran in the bathroom and locked herself in there right in the middle of karate class. I wish I could have seen that because she's the sweetest little thing. What did, what did Frankie do about it? He stopped class. <laughs> well, he couldn't get her out of the bathroom. That was the hardest part. Because wow. she was all of five. And um, he, you know, put her aside and said, you know, you can't talk to me that way. And, you know, gave her a timeout. And, you know, I mean, you can't whack your kid in front of, you know, of a class of, you know, 10 kids and 20 adults. Um, yeah. But I felt so bad for him because... I mean, what do you do? I had students like that when I used to teach uh, piano and guitar lessons. And some of the kids would be like six or seven, some of them a little bit older. But I had one, a couple of them in particular that were just like, out of the blue, like decide to try out their new, their new learned uh, karate moves on me. And this one girl would try to like, I'd sit next to her teaching her, try to elbow me in the face, try to choke me out. And her mom was like, oh, she just likes you. I'm like, as long as she shows up by bashing my eyeball out with her elbow, I'm like... Wait, I like you, too. Does that mean I get to hit you yeah. on a regular basis? I'm like, in what universe is this okay? <laughs> hey, Rick, welcome to work. Punch. Yeah, no, that's... that. <laughs> Pass on that one. Uh, but, yeah, it's crazy. It is. Well, parenting is hard. Like, I think, you know, everybody told me, like, when I was thinking about having kids they're like oh it's so much work oh it's it's so hard it's like long hours and all this stuff and I think like two things come to mind when people ask me about parenting one is a I think I have never laughed more (laughs) than I have when I was a parent Christy don't you think so that and I've never yelled as much (laughs) there you go yelling (laughs) they go hand in hand (laughs) they do go hand and your blood pressure (laughs) my god Yes, it is really hard. It is, and it, but it's, I mean, they say it's like the toughest job you'll ever love, or is that the Marines? Am I on the wrong show again? <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> Better look at that promo. <laughs> so. Come back to us. <laughs> I think so. Christy, what do you think is the hardest thing about parenting? Uh, for right now, for me, the hardest thing about parenting is getting my kids to listen to me and to stop fighting. They fight constantly, so it just wears me down, and then it gets frustrating. But that's that's the most difficult thing right now. That's the hardest thing for you. Right now. <laughs> Mr. Fake Bad Dad. <laughs> see, that's In not... my household, what's the hardest thing about parenting? <laughs> uh, see, that's not even really a fair question. Um, hardest part of parenting. I don't what know. do you think the hardest thing for her to be parenting is? That's true because you got well, well, what I see. What I see. What I see with her, with Sandra, is trying to balance that fine line between being the loving mom, but also having to be the person who's laying down the law, so to speak, and being the disciplinarian. Because from what I see, they're not really getting that anywhere else. And then having to say, you know, even when you may feel bad about having to discipline them, that you have to do that because you do love them, and you can't get what you want whenever you want. That's right. And certain things are just not acceptable, and like the sooner a child can learn that, I think the better off they'll be, you know. But it's not easy having to do both. You're good cop, bad cop. 
basically. It's true. It's true. And sometimes I find myself doing just what my mother said. You know, like, wait till Mr. Rick gets home, or, <laughs> you know, Mr. Rick won't like it when you do that. And but the sad thing is, is they mind. They will stand up, straighten up, fly right, do what I need them to do, because they think, you know, they don't want to let Mr. Rick down, or maybe they're afraid of Mr. Rick. I don't really care what it is at this point. As long as it works. <laughs> as long as it works. Nice. I use Mr. Nice. Yoon. I use the principal. You use Mr. Yoon? <laughs> I use the principal or their teachers. Yes. Really? Yep. That is it works. awesome. Well, listen, my name is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Rick Swanson and Christy Holly. We've got Dr. Um, Shafali Sabari. She is a Ph.D. who's wrote this amazing book that I've been reading called The Conscious Parent. And um, she's going to be on with us for the next three segments, so we're going to cover a lot of different parenting issues. We're going to say goodbye to our fake bad dad, and it will be just Christy and I for the rest of the show. If you haven't uh, seen our show, check us out on iTunes and Tokenet and we'll pick you up after the break. Mom, here's your show, Motherhood Talk Radio, giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. This is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after these. Was sad because right. he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the wives never struggled to communicate. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on. I told the man Keith that he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWanWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, Keith's number one. Everybody back. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism, the historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years, how can we hold on to what we hold dear, and the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues. For more information, check out the website, MotherhoodTalkRadio.com. Now, let's get back to the show with your hosts, Sandra Back and Christy Holly. 
Mamas. We are here today to answer some of these motherhood mysteries of the universe, right, Christy? Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> we need help, please. Yes. Well, you know what's amazing is that, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> jelly bean alert, <laughs> is that, Christy, you and I have really different lives, you know, for people listening today. It's like, I'm a single mom, I have two kids, I run a company, um, you know, and you are a married mom with three kids, even though our kids are roughly the same age. You're a stay-at-home mom, and yet we have 90% of the same parenting issues. That's true. That's true. Therefore, I think it's not us. You think what? It's not us. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. Right. How could it be? How could it be? Um, It's just the way it is. But um, one of the things that I really like about our guest today, um, and her name is Dr. Shafali Sabari, and she has written this really great book about um, transforming ourselves and empowering our children called um, The Conscious Parent. There's a preface by His His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, which is super cool. Um, But more importantly, this is the first, book I've read, and you know, Christy, I'm a voracious reader with this parenting stuff because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. (laughs) Um, And then I call you and go, what do you think about this? (laughs) Um, As we navigate through, you know, parenthood, what I love about her book is that she talks about what we can learn, meaning you and I, Christy, as Uh parents from our children. Okay. You know, because it's like I start reading these books and I go, okay, it tells me to do this, tells me to do that, tells me to do this, tells me to do that. This is why the kid's doing this. This is why the kid's doing that. This is the first book I've read that says, okay, Sam, this is why you are yelling at your child. You know, this is why this bothers you. And through a greater understanding of myself, I think I've become a better parent in certain respects. Um, So I thought it was really a great book to feature on our show because it is different and because it it approaches things from a completely uh, different standpoint than I'm used to, especially in a lot of the different parenting books. So I would like to welcome Dr. Shafali Sabari today. Uh, Dr. Shafali, are you here? Yes, I am. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure. Okay, we're going to ratchet down the silliness, me and Christy. So we're going to ask you first, could you tell us a little bit about yourself personally, like in your personal life? Sure. Well, I am a mother. I have a daughter who's eight years old. I am a clinical psychologist here in New York. I have a private practice where I see families and adults and couples, a lot of children in my practice as well. And um, in addition to my psychological training, I'm also a mindfulness practitioner. I teach mindfulness, I teach meditation, and I really try and infuse my work in the therapeutic process with mindfulness techniques and the entire philosophy of living in the present and uh, really exuding a sense of presence in every relationship. Now, that's, that's more Eastern thinking than Western psychology, wouldn't you say? It is, and that's why my specialty is in the integration of both. So I've been trained, uh, my formal training has been uh, here in New York at Columbia University in Western psychological thought. But because I am Eastern, I I was born and raised in India, 
and come from an Eastern philosophical upbringing, I now marry both of them together because, um, as you know, you know, Western therapy focuses on the excavation of the past and how one's childhood influences us. And what's so wonderful about the Eastern mix in this is that um, Eastern philosophy focuses on the now, on how it is that our unresolved egoic issues, and I'll explain that if you like in a moment, uh, influences us in the present moment and how it is that we can introduce mindfulness, not resistance to that which is unresolved, but instead a mindfulness to that which is unresolved so that then we can then transcend it. You know, most of the time we resist All that is unconscious within us. We don't like it. But in doing that, we actually perpetuate it. And mindfulness training teaches us to sit and witness that which is, and from that premise, work to heal and transcend. So it is very applicable, especially in being with our children, because our children, you know, are spontaneous uh, and, ever, uh, you know, constantly evolving. And unless we train ourselves to witness them in their as-is moments and experience them as they are in that moment, open to their discovering a, themselves in a new moment, then we are truly in touch with their authentic spirit and their budding selves. Because our children are never rigid entities, and neither are we. But because we live out of this unconsciousness, we are, are closed to the possibility of our emerging newness. You know, we are constantly emerging, constantly evolving, especially our children. They're more in touch with that evolution than we are. And mindfulness teaches us how to enter the present moment with presence and engage with our children and ourselves with this moment-to-moment connection. Now, can you explain to our listeners that you use the term mindfulness a couple times? What does that mean in, in, like, what does that mean and then what does that mean to us as parents? Sure. Um, mindfulness is the introduction of awareness. It's being present to what is before us. It's being engaged, you know, with our full presence, full attention. And therefore, as parents, it is such a great tool to learn to be in the present moment so that with our children, we can be attuned to them. You see, as adults, and I'm sure you experience this in your own life, we mostly live in a disconnected state. We're constantly busy. We may be physically in the kitchen, but our mind is in the office. So we're physically in the office and our mind is on the soccer field or on our to-do list. We are never where we are. We are never there. We're never grounded, never centered, never still. And our children pick up on this frenzied energy, and they then learn to also live in a disconnected state. Our children, you know, when they come to us, they come connected. They come in their bodies. They come present to their own inner guidance. But because we as parents have learned to, uh, you know, have learned to unlearn our own authenticity, our own sense of presence, we then teach our children to unlearn their natural authentic state. And this is a great disservice we do to ourselves and our children because instead of learning from them how to become more grounded, we take 
them and ourselves into further disconnection, into further groundlessness. And this causes uh, anxiety in our children. This creates all sorts of, um, you know, misbehaviors, which we then want to control. But it really all emerges from this lack of inner connectivity. And that's what mindfulness is and does and helps with. It creates that moment to moment, I'm here, this is now, that sense of grounded connectivity. So, like, for example, like, the, the, in the very prosaic terms, if you, like, when I go to watch my son at karate, I sit there and I actually watch him. His eyes meet mine. Sometimes I give him a thumbs up when he's at his karate. And I notice sometimes there's other parents there and they might be talking on their cell phone or texting or flipping through a magazine, you know, and they're present, but they're not really present. Is that what you're talking about? Well, yes. If if your child needs you to be present, you know, maybe you can for, for those few minutes be on the phone because he is engaged. But it is in those moments when our children need our attention and need us to be attuned to their emotional needs that we need to be present. You know, many times we may be watching them, say, on the soccer field or playing taekwondo, you know, a, a game or tennis, whatever their activity may be, and we may be full-on present, but we may be full of ego. So let's, let's talk about the ego a little bit. Presence is very different from just being present. You know, when we are sitting and engaging and relating to our children with presence, that means we are here with openness, ready to witness their involvement as it is meant to evolve without the introduction and insertion of our egoic needs. So we could be physically present, but we could be completely absent because we could just be present to our egoic needs rather than our children's spiritual needs, you see? So many mm-hmm. times as parents, we may say to you know ourselves or to our friends, but I'm always there. I'm always helping him with homework. I'm the best mother because I'm always on the soccer field. Well, then, are you on the soccer field or helping with homework with your ego in mind, you know, taking care of your needs and stroking your own um, egoic um, demands and desires? Or are you there truly as a witnesser of your child's evolving spirit? You know, there's a subtle energetic shift when we shift out of fulfilling our own desires to truly being there for our children's desires and needs. And this doesn't mean pandering to them, and it doesn't mean giving in to them. It's none of that. It even transcends good cop, bad cop. It's about truly being there and teaching them what they need to learn, but what they need to learn, not what we think they need to learn. So how would that, like, give us an example of how would it change? Like, I'm helping my son do his homework at night. What would be an example? And I know we've got a a minute or two to go to break, but if you could give us a quick example, what it's like to go from your egoic needs to the spiritual needs of the child in just helping for homework. Beautiful. So as you're doing homework with your child, you may find yourself getting triggered because the homework is not according to your perfection. The handwriting is not good, the posture is sloppy, the attitude stinks. So at those moments of feeling triggered, you check yourself and realize that this is because your own emotional responses are being highlighted and brought to question, not what your child needs. When you can distance yourself from your own emotional reactivity, then you can give your child the tools to do homework well, but not being attached to it being perfectly according to your vision. 
You see the difference? Perfect. You're taking your, your emotional reactivity out of it. It's not about you and your ideal. It's about where your child's at and where you can, how you can help him go and be the best he can be. Great. We are here with Dr. Shafali Sabari. Her book is The Conscious Parent. When we come back, we're going to learn more about how to parent from the heart, according to Dr. Shafari, and we will be back after the break. My name is Sandra Beck, and this is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we're here with Christy Holly. your show, Motherhood Talk Radio, giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. This is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after these. Hey moms, get ready for Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Living the Dream Mom is about the true realities of motherhood, the beauty and the rewards of watching your children grow. All these moms have something in common. They put their kids first. It's not about the kids all the time and the diapers and the bottles and the breastfeeding. It's about showcasing the mother in motherhood, real moms in the real world. Do you get it? Now that's what the show's about. So every week, let's get together and we'll share these great stories with you guys. And I hope by the end of the show, you'll be saying, you know what? That is my life. Nina gets it. And I can't hardly wait to see what she brings me next week. Don't miss the next Living the Dream Mom. It's Real Moms in the Real World. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry on Toginet.com. The Way of the Toddler, with hosts Lita and Lori Hamilton, is a show unlike any other parenting program you've ever heard. Zen Masters in Diapers? Yes. Join us Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central here on Toginet, as we celebrate parenthood as a spiritual path for a journey to inner peace. With thought-provoking and spiritually compelling guests, each week Lita and Lori will explore how our children help us with the lessons we came here to learn, adding deeper meaning to our lives and relationships, while giving you valuable gems to add to your unique parenting toolkit. Check out the website, thewayofthetoddler.com. With great humor and honesty, Lita and Lori will demonstrate how inner peace is possible, even when surrounded by poopy diapers and piles of laundry, and what we can learn from the innate wisdom and natural spirituality of our Zen masters in diapers. It's The Way of the Toddler with Lita and Lori Hamilton, Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central, here on toginet.com. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues. For more information, check out the website, motherhoodtalkradio.com. Now, let's get back to the show with your hosts, Sandra Back and Christy Holly. Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I am here with Christy Holly, and we have as our guest today, author of The Conscious Parent, Dr. Shafali Sabari. And Christy, you asked me at the break about multitasking and motherhood. Why don't you share a little bit about that, and then we can ask Dr. Shafali uh, what, you know, kind of what we're supposed to do. Well, I was just saying that I am not realizing that I wasn't present when I'm present with my kids, um, and I feel a little bit, well, a lot guilty because I do it 
I just realize that I do it a lot. I'm always thinking of, okay, what's next? What do I have to do? You know, let me answer this email. Let me call this person. You know, even when my kids are doing their homework, I'm sitting with them, and I was calling it multitasking and, you know, cooking something while helping with homework. But I just, you know, I, I, I don't know how to just focus or I, how, do I, how do I just focus on one child at a time and, and be present in each child's life, you know, at the same time when I've got three of them? How do you do that? You know, our children come to us precisely for, for this purpose, to teach us how to enter the present moment and be still. And we as adults, because we've become so addicted to such a fast-paced doing lifestyle, that we've forgotten how it is to be in that moment, to be enamored with whatever is in front of us. If you see our children, you know, they can be enamored for hours with a simple banana or a toy or until they learn later that, oh, there's a whole world of technology and fast-paced activity, and then they forget how to keep that innocence and that purity and that engagement with life at that very primal level. Well, we have forgotten that too. And that's why our children, more than anyone else, can take us back to that place if we allow them to take us back. You know, if so, now when you have realized that you're not really present, our first instinct, of course, you know, being well-intentioned mothers is to feel guilt. But then when we rest in guilt, we're again not really present because again we make it about our lack, our inadequacy, and then again we're going to miss the boat. So instead, to realize, oh my goodness, I find it so hard to be still right now, to notice it and to wake up to that which is threatening to you, which is to be in that moment fully present, leave the phone aside, what is in front of you is of the utmost relevance and the only thing worthy of your attention, and, and that's it. You know, we don't know how to do this. We've forgotten how to do this. There's a great anxiety in us that if we don't do a thousand things at once, we will not be perfect. And it's this drive to really nowhere or this race to nowhere, as, as the latest movie that's out and about in society today is talking about, that we're all, you know, on this treadmill going nowhere. And our children pick up on this energy, and then no wonder we become a society that's addicted to instant gratification and uh, quick fixes and all things technological, because we have been divorced from that which is naturally and organic within us, our stillness. So the moms that, like, you know, we see them, you know, running from soccer to baseball, and they got to go this, and I played three basketball games today, and, you know, it's almost like, like, this is all about them. It's really not about the kids, and, and I see this again and again with the parents. You know, what are the parents getting out of it, the ones that, you know, that run around and have their kid in every sport? I mean, I don't know about you, Christy. They always make me feel like a rotten parent. <laughs> yeah, well. Because <laughs> I can't keep up with them. You know, like going to baseball this week, one of the moms was like, oh, my son is playing, he played three basketball games today, and now we have baseball, and then we have baseball again tonight, and then we have this, and then we have that. It made my head spin. 
Well, you know, that's a great point and a great question. I think that two things, though, these mothers, and I'm sure all of us have done this in our lives, we do through that. You know, first, we somehow are deluded or under the illusion that our children are our possessions, and by that, they are extensions of ourselves, and by that, they are here to fulfill our egoic needs. So if I need to feel competent as a mother, I need my child to be highly super successful and competent and busy and doing because then I feel very good as a mother. So the child's sense of authentic, authentic self and his spirit or her entire sense of uh, competence gets uh, weighed and measured uh, in terms of how good or competent the mother feels. So this is a risky proposition indeed, and we, go, we tread really murky waters when we begin doing this. And most mothers and fathers fall into this trap very easily because we, there's this illusion that our children are ours to possess. And by that, they become our wings, and, but they're not. You know, they are these uniquely individualistic, highly idiosyncratic beings come into our lives to partner with us in their growth, but in that as well as in our growth. And see, because we, are, we live uh, from the old parenting paradigm, which says that we are here to mold and shape our children, we're forgetting uh, that our children really have a lot more to teach us if we are willing to invite in those lessons. The minute we shift the parenting paradigm to, from a hierarchical linear one to a mutually reciprocal one, then we won't see them as our extensions. In fact, we will see ourselves um, as, you know, oh, I need to grow in so many more ways and let me hold back my ego, let me rein it back in and not impose it onto my child. So that's one way we, we do our children a great disservice and really ourselves because when we treat them as our possessions and have this dominance over them, what we're really doing spiritually is rigidifying this egoic hold that we have and the ego is really a barrier to authentic living so that that's one way and the, and the second way we do we use our children really is that we keep them so busy and we keep ourselves so busy because really what we're threatened by is entering stillness and entering the ordinariness of all our or for all our beings, you know, essentially we're quite ordinary, but there's something very extraordinary about that. But because we are so anxious about our inherent beingness that we must fill it up with noise, distraction, external accomplishments, and accoutrements, you know, our zip code, our bank balance, our weight, our fashion sense, everything external. But again, what a great disservice we're doing because instead of allowing our children to take us to stillness, we take them to this noise. And then what do we do? We, we create their addictions to everything external. Our children don't know how to sit with themselves and they feel lesser than if they're simply being ordinary. Unless now they get into Harvard, Yale, Princeton or are in 10 activities, they feel empty. And this is what we see when they become, you know, when they enter adulthood, that they feel empty in their as-is state. And we parents really put that onto them because we are uncomfortable in our as-is state. Well, I think, you know, and I see this a lot in in the other um, parents and sometimes in myself when you have – 
when you have a lot going on, you really don't have to think about what's going on. You don't have to face your own mm-hmm. problems. You don't have to face your own issues. You just got to hurry up and get this one here, this one there, get them fed, get them going. There's some, like, security in that, um, and it's in that downtime that defenses come down. You know, your kid will say, you know, I really don't want to go over to Dad's house tonight. You know, a lot of dialogue opens up in those, you know, you call it stillness. In my house, we call it quiet time, you know, or we call it, we do our media blackout where the TV goes off, the Wii goes off. You know, you can just do anything that's not causing noise, causing, you know, craziness. Sometimes we'll build a fire, and that's when that open dialogue talks happen. But those can be very uncomfortable because that's also sometimes where problems come up. Oh, absolutely, because that's true intimacy, right? So are we being intimate with our children at that very deep soul engagement? But it's so threatening to us to enter that place because we're not ready for that engagement with our own selves because we are so disconnected from who we are in this moment that to confront our children's authenticity is almost too scary for us. And our children, if we allow them, and we all know this, will go straight for the kill, right? They, they will just go straight for, that, for, for the emotional place, and they will tell us how we have failed them, and they will tell us how life disappoints them, and they test our own trust in life. They test our own confidence in, in, in the beauty of the universe. They test how we feel about ourselves on a moment-to-moment basis. You know, the other day a mother came to me and said that her child had no play dates and the mother was in a panic. And again, it was all about the mother's panic, nothing to do with teaching the child that it's okay to not have a play date, but instead the mother was so enraged because her own issues were triggered uh, you know, her own memories of being ostracized, of being a victim, of being bullied, and of not being accepted were triggered that she passed this on to her child and made her child feel inadequate without meaning to, you know. Um, so this is how we insidiously, well-intended, pass on our unconscious legacies onto our children. It is. Well, it's amazing. Like, I think, <laughs> I love what you said about, like, they, they poke you just where, because to me it's almost like cosmic intervention. I don't know how they do it. Like, this morning, you know, my son and I were getting ready for school. My other son was already at school, and I was just sitting quietly on the couch, and um, my older son came over, and he says, Mom, you really miss Grandma, don't you? And I don't know where that came from. Out of the blue, he poked right into my heart. You know, it almost made me cry. But that little bit of consciousness between the two of us had nothing really to do with speaking. It was a sharing of emotion. But that really can't happen until you turn everything off. Exactly. And and the emotional energy is what we are most threatened by. And emotional energy will only come up in a direct way, in that profound way that you were just talking about, through engagement in stillness, in in quiet time, in space. Um, But when we fill our time with all things gadgets and all things accomplishments and all things external and busyness, uh, we lose that ability to speak in an emotional way. And the emotional language is what binds us all, and the emotional language is where we become resilient and where we learn to cope with life. Uh, It's all through the emotional language, and we rob our children of this because we are so uncomfortable in the emotional language. 
My name is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Christy Holly and Dr. Shafali Sabari. She is the author of The Conscious Parent. We're talking about parenting. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how many of us as mothers get lost in our roles. When we come back from the break, we will have Dr. Shafali and her great insights. Mom, here's your show, Motherhood Talk Radio, giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. This is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after these. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 11, 10 Central on Toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues. For more information, check out the website, motherhoodtalkradio.com. Now, let's get back to the show. With your host, Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I am here with Christy Holly, and we have as our guest today the author of The Conscious Parent, uh, Dr. Shafali Sabari, and she has written an outstanding book that I found most interesting, I think, because it talks more about what, like Christy, what you and I can. Um, I can learn about being a parent and learn from the parenting process and making yourself a partner in your child's growth. Uh, that to me was a, was a kind of a different mindset, a different change in the traditional way of the parenting books that I read. So I really encourage you guys to pick up a copy. You can find it on Amazon. Um, it's really a great book and it's, 
it really does make you think. For those of you that are just joining us, we have our show today available on TogiNet, T-O-G-I-N-E-T. We are also found on iTunes under Motherhood Talk Radio. We also have our own website, www.motherhoodtalkradio.com. You can find our old episodes there and see what's coming up in the future. But for today, we have Dr. Shafali. And Dr. Shafali, I want to talk to you for a minute about... When um, Christy and I talk about this a lot, we have lots of roles as women. We're wives, we're mothers, we're sisters, we're daughters, we're friends. You know, we, we, we run the gamut of these things. But one thing that happens, and I know it's happened to me a little bit and happened to Christy over the years we've been parents, we give to our children everything we have. And the more we give to our children and sometimes to our spouses mm-hmm. and to our families, our sense of who we are fades. And we wake up every morning, year after year, kind of going, like, who have we become? We really just become in service to others. Christy, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I've become, like, who is Christy anyway? You know, I've just become the mom, you know, of Hannah Parker and Nick and, you know, the wife. It's, it's, sometimes I feel like I've lost my identity. Well, you know, it's so funny you say that because I was on uh, Friday night last week. I was eating sushi in town at the local place. And, of course, the night I choose to sit there and eat by myself, you know, Uh, three intact families come in, happy mom, happy dad, happy kids, and they want to come over and say hi to single-parent mom sitting over here without her kids because the kids are at her dad's house, which was, albeit, it was brutal. Well, just think of it. It was a lot cheaper for you. It's true. It was a lot cheaper. Just saying. It was a lot cheaper. Just saying. You saved money. I did save money. The worst part of it, and this, like, it caused me, I was redder than the salmon on my plate because one of the families came over, and I recognized them, you know, from one of the sports the kids play. They didn't know my name. They only knew me as Max's mom. And I'm like, wow, well, there you go. That about sums it up. I have no identity (laughs) left. I'm simply Max's mom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've been Hannah's mom. You, you, yeah, you have no other identity. You know, I don't even, sometimes I don't even know, like, what I like anymore. It's like, if you ask me, what do I like to do? It's like, I have to really think about it now. Because it's, it's like, I don't do things that I like to do. I don't even know what they are anymore. Oh, you know? I, I was... This is so embarrassing, but it's talk radio. Who cares, right? <laughs> Nobody knows where I live. Bring um, it. Oh, bring it. The other night, I was so tired, and I got home, and I hopped into bed. It was like 10.30 at night, and um, I was sitting there watching TV, and, you know, Rick texted me on the phone, what are you watching on TV? And I was so embarrassed, I couldn't even tell him, because I had turned on Nickelodeon by habit. I was sitting in bed watching, I don't know if it was Dora or, you know, Bob the Builder or something. It was some kids show. No, I think it was the Berenstein Bears because I was kind of involved in what the you know Papa <laughs> Bear was going to do. A good show. <laughs> but I just I you know it was so automatic. I turned on you know it's the night I don't have my kids. I turned on kids television without realizing it because I wasn't really paying attention. It was more for comfort. And then when he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, I'm kind of reading and watching TV." And oh, thank God he didn't ask what I was watching because it was <laughs> being really embarrassing. <laughs> So, Dr. Shafali, why does this happen? 
Well, um, it's a natural thing that, uh, you know, we lose identity when, when we give birth because especially for mothers, I think it also happens to a certain degree for par- for fathers, but it happens on a more primal level for mothers because of the whole biological connection. Um, so we lose our identity, uh, we give birth, our sense of uh, compassion, um, responsibility, uh, you know, just this love that we feel on, on a different level um, melts that identity boundary that we had before giving birth. You know, before we gave birth, we had a real sense of self and this is me and this is who I am and, and a, a lot of purpose and some grandiosity, some ego attached to that identity. And now we give birth and we become parents. That identity melts away. It diffuses away into this new spirit that we have now given birth to. And there's a paradox here. It's a beautiful thing that this does. You know, it does help you get out of your ego. It puts you in touch with humanity as a whole. It gives you a sense of compassion for all living things now. We have a greater sense of responsibility for all children because now we have given birth and we know what that means to care for for another. This is a wonderful thing indeed. So this is the positive part of letting go of our rigid identity and letting go of the ego and entering this place of uh, unconditional compassion and love. The disconcerting part of it is that now what do we do with this? How do we transform this sense of identitylessness into a sense of beingness, into a sense of self. Well, that's the transformation that we have to go through. That is the conscious part of this parenting process. Now we have to redefine who we are, and often we then re-rigidify our ego again. Now we become the mother of the successful soccer-playing kid, or now we become the the wife of the successful corporate person. Uh, You know, in our longing and thirst to define ourselves, we again... Uh, you know, create this new identity. Now I'm just the mother of Max. Well, that becomes an identity also in which we lose ourselves yet again. So the point of this is to dissolve the ego, but to create a sense of connection to the self that is really separate from the ego. So yes, you are Max's mother, but now you're in touch with a lot more than simply the role of mother simply the role of wife. But this happens quite naturally because we get engulfed and we let our children or we allow the parenting process to again take us away from that sense of self. You know, so it's not being trapped by the role we play or the labels uh, with which we live with, but it's getting in touch with that sense of self, that essence, that being state that transcends labels, that transcends roles, that transcends identities. Um, and the parenting process helps us do that. Uh, but it is a, a process of awakening. It takes time to come back to that sense of who we are, regardless of who our children are. And that's, the, that's what this book talks about, how to do that. You know, how to come back to your own and not let your children complete you, because that's not their job. It's not for them to define who we are. We are who we are without definition, and we don't need someone to define us. And then we allow our children to be free to create that self-definition on their own as well. Right, and really to be their own person. You know, that's the one thing, Dr. Shafali, that, you know, the um, divorce has taught me is that, you know, when you talk about you don't own your children, you know, when you have to hand your children over to your ex-husband and the woman in his life, 
and watch them parent, you really get a good, it's like a bucket of cold water on your head going, wow, you you don't own these children. And then you have the court telling you, you know, these children, you know, your First Amendment rights are suspended where the children are concerned. You know, you're allowed to see them at this event and that event. I mean, you really get a good dose of that, um, that you don't own these children from really a practical legal sense. But when you talk about your kids being an extension of yourself, they might be a physical, biological extension, but they are their own unique individuals. And I think unless you pull yourself out of the mix or what you call your ego out of the mix and really think about, okay, why am I yelling at my kid? Is it because he really did something wrong or is this about me? I see this a lot at soccer and at baseball with these parents yelling at their kids to hit this ball. I know we want our kids to do our best their best and reach to new heights, but sometimes I sit there and go, wow, this is about the dad or this is about the mom. This really isn't about the kids. So how could your kid develop himself into his full potential if we don't pull ourselves out of the mix to a certain extent? Am I understanding you correctly? Perfectly, absolutely. And and my book, The Conscious Parent, really lays out how it is that we have lost touch with the power of our inner guidance. And because we have lost that inner connectivity, we don't trust our children to live in their inner connectivity. You see, because we are divorced, we just presume a divorce in our children. And then we seek to create a connection between our ego and them. But really, that's not our job. Our job is to help them stay in their connectivity, which they will if we just stayed out of their way, and give them the guidance and tools to keep returning to their sense of inner guidance. You see, but because we've lost the magic of our own inner guidance and the power that comes with that, and that sense of connection with with our divinity, our interconnectedness with humanity, that we presume, you see, we project our lack onto our children, and we just presume that they don't know. We just presume that they can't be who they want to be, and they don't know who they are. And then we impose our egoic projection onto them, and therefore divorce them of who they could be. So instead, if we were wise to our own divinity, our own connection, we will understand that our children come connected. Now what can I do to keep fostering that, keep taking them back to their own inner guidance, keep teaching them to learn about their own resilience and that they do have the empowerment to be sturdy and cope and not depend on the externals of life. You see, it all comes from our own conviction of our inherent potential. But because we are shaky in that, because we are anxious in that conviction, we just egoically project onto our children the same lack But our children don't come with lack. They are full already. We just need to keep reminding them of that fullness. And when their behavior, uh, you know, airs from or is not aligned with that fullness, then we take them back to that fullness. But we don't impose lack on them just because they have misbehaved. Their misbehavior, we now understand, is just being misaligned. And we can take them back into alignment. But how can we take them into alignment if we ourselves have no idea how to be aligned with our own inner voice. Dr. Shafali Sabari, I want to thank you for being on the show today. You are the author of The Conscious Parent. You've given Christy and I an awful lot to think about, our listeners as well. If you want to buy her book, you can find it on Amazon. It's a production of Namaste Publishing. Uh, They have a lot of great books. You should check them out as well, namastepublishing.com. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Oh, 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 oh,
you for being a part of Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Grontoginet.com. Join us every Tuesday as we give